Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the one and done Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> How you like them apples, LA? How you like them apples? I told you it wasn't cinnamon. I told you it wasn't cinnamon. Anyway, Ray, handle the big before we get started. <laughs> before we get started, Ray, why don't you let them know? Where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash the Goldcast. You can also uh, subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same name of the Goldcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Goldcast underscore. Make sure to put that underscore at the name of that particular name. And subscribe, like, comment, leave feedback. Let us know if you let us know in the comments what you think, what your thoughts on the sports, or if you'd like to. Give us feedback on the show in general. We're always trying to make improvements, and we always try to do our best to talk to everybody who leaves a compliment uh, or not compliment a comment. Do it. Do the right thing, Spike Lee. Do do the right thing, Spike Lee. All right, today's episode we're going to open with all that Jimmy Garoppolo drama, the drama, that article that came out on ESPN. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to do a little bit of those playoffs and finally end with some Warriors. But first, Goldcast intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? ready? This is the Goldcast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suisse III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. Coming live and direct via Skype. Raymond's calling in today, hence a little bit of the difference in the sound. Raymond, so let's begin with the drama, the big time drama. That's article, the big article came out of ESPN last week. It was everywhere, man. Every podcast, every show was talking about the rift. They're still talking growing, about it. They're still talking about it. They are. The growing rift between Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, and one Mr. Tom Brady. Really interesting article. A lot. I've heard a lot of different opinions on it, and I think the, the opinion that I was the most interested in hearing was Bill Simmons because if we are the biggest San Francisco homers for San Francisco sports that run a podcast, I would say the biggest Boston homer, it's got to be Bill Simmons, right? Like of the podcast. Would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. The only one I listen to that's just as, you know, fanatical about his team as we are about ours. Absolutely. Um, You know, and I think any, most, most, most fans are pretty irrational about their teams, and that's how it should be. I'm in full support of that, but definitely probably the biggest, most public figure. The one thing he said that was really interesting, he said he actually believed a lot of the article. The one piece he didn't believe was this idea that Robert Kraft would turn to Belichick and make him order him to do the trade. He said that in all in the 17 years that they've run that team, Kraft has always let Belichick run the show, and he really never interferes. He lets the top guys do what they do best. Uh, that was the one piece he didn't. He wasn't. Uh, he didn't agree with the part that everyone seems to agree with is that Tom Brady seemed to be pretty. Uh, what's the What's the word? Pretty not intimidated, but um, maybe frustrated or annoyed that this other quarterback was here. That seems to be a, a pretty 
pretty, you know, common sentiment. Joe Montana felt that way about Steve Young. Brett Favre felt that way about Aaron Rodgers. We've seen this kind of the tension in these kinds of relationships before. One of the things that really struck me in the report was, you know, he wouldn't help Jimmy at all. But then at the same time, like when when Jimmy got hurt in his shoulder, he went to the TB12 office for an appointment and apparently the doors were locked and the lights were closed and nobody nobody was there and it took another 2 weeks despite he had despite him having a scheduled appointment that that seemed a little extreme uh but i mean not out of the realm i mean you know we're we're dealing with a team that is known for many controversies but what do you think Raymond trouble in paradise i think the tension between brady and garoppolo is real because we've seen that in san francisco we saw it in green bay I, I, that I think is pretty palpable, but I want to hear what, what are your general thoughts on that article and everything that was published about that rift? What I found most surprising is that people from the organization or that are close to the organization didn't seem to dispute all of the information that was presented. Um, Eric Mangini said that there was a lot of validity to it. Um, he said that there was definitely validity to the Jimmy Garoppolo scenario because they they were stuck. They were stuck because once once Tom declared that he was going to you know play more deeper into his forties, then you know then then that kind of made things really difficult for Belichick, who's the GM, president, and head coach, to make a decision about Jimmy. Because of all the quarterbacks that have gone through there, Brissett, Hoyer, uh, Matt Castle, all those guys came and went. There was never an effort made to retain those players. But they made an effort to retain Jimmy Garoppolo. And the reason they did so is because Jimmy has a very unique skill set that is viable in the NFL, you know, as in terms of being a great quarterback. Jimmy has all of those intangibles and some. So the fact that they were willing to keep him, they even made him an offer. They made him a contract offer, but Jimmy turned it down. He's like, okay, I don't want to make this and sit on the bench for another three years. You know, Steve Young didn't start until he was 30. You know, so uh, and and now we we live in an age where you know the the lifespan of an NFL player is you know just about the same or if not shorter than it used to be, based on the you know the violence of the sport. So that was what was surprising that nobody was saying this is completely false. Even the even the Patriots organization, their statement was very vague and just said things are. They basically said you're exaggerating or inaccurate. It never said it's flat out false and you should not listen to any of this information. They basically said it's exaggerated and blown out of proportion and or inaccurate. So I'm like, wow, even the organization themselves are acknowledging that there is a high degree of truth to the information that's being, you know, that's being presented in this article. And so that to me was crazy. I don't know, I don't know if there was a whole lot of rift between Brady and Garoppolo themselves. You know, uh, Joe Montana and Steve Young don't hate each other. They never did. Um, I don't think there was any animosity between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. The animosity really becomes between the coaches and the owners because they like they the owners really you know cling to the to the winning quarterback and are not always keen to changing to a new quarterback because that might lead to an entire regime change or you know a, a downslope in in the in the uh, in the team's you know, progress up to that point. Uh, we obviously didn't really skip a beat with Steve Young. You know, Steve Young went to Joe Montana's house for Christmas. They hung out. They went golfing together. That was cited in Steve Young's uh, 
football life story, you know, that they never had a problem with each other. It was the coaches and the owners that had problems with one another. We know that Bartolo had a problem with Bill Walsh when that was going on. I don't know if Mike Holmgren had an issue with ownership, although the ownership with Green Bay is like all the fans, so I'm not sure how that works. It must be like a committee or a head of the committee uh, for that particular fan base. But it was Kraft and Belichick. I think they were certainly at, at odds with the quarterback because he wanted Tom and Tom was still playing well. So he's like, yeah, why not? Why, why fix what's not broken yet? But then they're like, all right, well, we're, but we're not securing the future, which is something Belichick has always been comfortable doing. Even if it was getting rid of a player that would have been unpopular with the fan base and media. So I think we can all, yeah, go for it. I was going to ask you a question. How much of Seth Wickersham's article, I believe that's how you say his name, Wickersham, 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 probably Wickersham. How much of Seth WikiWiki's article do you believe is actually true? I'd say at least 85% of it. I, I would I would say you're about right. Do you believe the stuff, what about all the TB12 stuff and like the kind of, this it kind of paints this picture that you know Brady feels that he and under understandably so I'm not saying he's not justified but like he believes that he's some that he should be at this point maybe be above some of the traditional um, Bill Belichick uh, criticism and reproach that he gives players that he feels he's should have, he's earned you know a bit of a, a place do you feel like that's true I think the article said at one point that you know Belichick does that not because he actually, you know, like he was saying, like the, you know, like the, there was like a high school, a high school quarterback could have made that pass. And he says that in front of the entire team, but more as a, more as a sign to them and less as a, as a reproach towards Tom Brady. But how much of the rift with Tom Brady and this feeling that, you know, he should be above some of this reproach. Do you think some of that's real? Maybe, you know, maybe that, that, that is, the part that might be a little bit blown out of proportion where it's being exaggerated more than it actually is. You know, I'm sure to a degree, Tom feels like, Hey, I don't need to be corrected on something like this because I know the mistake I made, which any veteran who's been playing as long as he has. And at the same level that he's been playing, probably you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt that if they make a mistake, they know what they did in that mistake and they know what to do to correct it and don't necessarily need to be coached per se um, like they would if they made that same mistake in, like, year one, for example. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there's some truth to it. I don't necessarily think, like, that Tom's, like, going to go bitch and moan about it later behind doors, like, hey, don't shoot me out. You know, we know that he gets on Eric Mangini's case, you know, because it's a different, hier- a different you know, part of the hierarchy where Eric is like, hey, you left that guy open, you left that guy open, and Tom's like, I got it, and then eventually, you know, told him to fuck you, fuck off. You know, so you, there's you some mean, frustration you mean, uh, there. You mean Josh Josh McDaniels? Josh McDaniels, not Eric McDaniels. Yeah, yes, Josh McDaniels. You know, so, um, you know that that you know that's obviously true because it was it was captured on video. We can all read his lips. You know, there's no hiding what was uh, said or seen during that you know altercation. So. Um, I think there's some truth to it, but I also think that some of it's a little exaggerated. I don't know what you feel about it. I uh, I agree. I, I also agree with Bill Simmons. I'm not really sure if Robert Kraft, like, ordered it. You, I don't think he ordered it, but I think he may have voiced concern, and I don't think that the trade just happened, like, in Bill Belichick was, like, you know, blindsided. I, I just have a hard time seeing that. Here's another thing, I think. 
I do feel like the Patriots feel like they made a mistake, and and maybe not necessarily in trading Garoppolo, but they should. I think they think I I feel they believe in their heart of hearts. They basically the, the Niners, you know, they, they it was a steal, and that they they should have they should have asked for a lot more. Do you agree with that? I think both. I think not only do they feel like they could have gotten more, they certainly would have gotten a lot from Cleveland. Um, but uh, I also think that they're like, damn, and he's playing well. Because remember, that was the one guy they tried to give him an offer because, you know, Belichick's not going to give Garoppolo a contract of that stature if he doesn't believe that Garoppolo's got something in him in terms of ability and skill set. So the fact that he did that is, you know, indicative of the fact that he believed in Garoppolo's trajectory, you know, and giving him up for just a second rounder, you know, perhaps was a, a huge, a gross error in, in judgment of his value. But again, it's, it's all in hindsight, right? Like we see Garoppolo now who's five and zero as a niner. It's easy to now say you could have gotten so much more. But you didn't know that. He could have lost all five games and it would have said, yeah, then we would have been saying, yeah, that, that, that's probably a good justification, a good price for that player. He's clearly still struggling and needs to learn the system more. You know, off-season OTAs and all that stuff will be very good for him. The Niners are most likely going to franchise tag him. Yeah, then we would be saying the opposite. But the fact that he's 5-0 and and now everyone's saying that he's pretty much guaranteed a long-term contract that's going to, you know, top up, going to be in the $100 million range, that's all because he did well, you know. So now, looking back, it's easy to say, yeah, they should have gotten more. But, you know, it's all hindsight, you know, commentary. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, it's, it's hindsight, but I, I agree that had it been an epic collapse, that's what we would have been saying. But everything that we were hearing come out of, coming out of New England was that Jimmy Garoppolo was the truth and that he was the heir apparent. And, I mean, everything they had done had been in line with this idea that they were going to hand the reins off eventually to Jimmy Garoppolo, that that's what they were going to do. And so while I agree that I agree that the I agree that there is there was no guarantee by the way the Patriots were treating Jimmy Garoppolo, I feel and everything that we were hearing coming out of that franchise, I feel like there was a pretty high upside to him. And the reason I was the most confident on our side is because we had Kyle Shanahan. But going back to just the Jimmy Garoppolo, with all signs pointed to him being the heir, they had to know something that we didn't. And all signs pointed to that this guy had the mechanics to be a quarterback that they seemed to believe in at the time was the heir apparent. And if they believe that, then there's got to be something to it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And there ended up being a lot of fire. So that's what, while I, you know, I'm agreeing with you, who knows? But at the flip side is, man, the Patriots invested three years into this dude and all signs pointed to that they were confident that he could take over the reins and carry this team to that level. So I am I was pretty confident that he would probably deliver, primarily also because when he was delivered to us, it's not like we had some chump coach waiting on the other side. We have Kyle Shanahan, one of the greatest offensive minds coaching in football today. So if it wasn't for, if we didn't have Kyle Shanahan, if we had Chip Kelly or Jim Tom Sula, we'd have been equally screwed. He probably would have broke his ACL within like the third game. But because we had Kyle Shanahan, I was confident that it wouldn't it wouldn't be a disaster. And so far it's panned out. But man, you, New England's got to be hurting over this, right? This has got to hurt, right? Obviously it hurts. There's a freaking article about it. 
I think so. And it seemed like there was no other destination that Bill Belichick wanted to go except for San Francisco. Even the Cleveland Browns, who have a lot of money, have a lot of draft picks. An article came out like um, today, I think. Uh, it came out today talking about how Cleveland wanted to trade for Garoppolo and they were going to give a lot. So we obviously traded the second round pick, but um, and then, then the, the the Patriots added Brian Hoyer as a backup. I know him and Tom are tight, um, but we know that the Browns were willing to offer a, a heck of a lot more, according to the article. I don't know how much more, but uh, you guys can see it at Cleveland.com is where the where the article was posted. But get this, so. Um, the Browns had talked to the Patriots on October 28th. Remember, Jimmy G was traded on Halloween. And according to the league sources that this author is citing, it says the Browns couldn't even start a conversation, and they were told that Garoppolo wasn't available. They said more than my um, – and then the Browns told the Patriots, if you are open to trading him, please call. Two days later, he ends up in a San Francisco uniform. But see, here's the thing, though. Given given Belichick's history with the Browns and the fact that it's the Browns, I think out of respect for Jimmy Garoppolo, there was no way he was going to send him to the Browns because the Browns have such a horrible system. No matter how good your quarterback is, he's going to get destroyed there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I guess the article also said that Belichick you know, has a longstanding relationship with uh, Mike Shanahan. And that Mike yes, Shanahan was true. one of the few people that defended him during Spygate, even though we know Spygate's true, and they don't deserve at least two of those first three trophies. But uh, I, nevertheless, I digress. And that's one of the reasons why he sent him over to San Francisco, too, among others. Well, he sent him over to a place he could trust. Also, he wanted to get him literally, I think, physically as far away as possible from from the New England Patriots. He put him in the NFC on the West Coast in San Francisco. I, he sees that, you know, we see them once, what, every four years? I mean, you know, unless we're going to play them in the Super Bowl. I think that that was also that strategy, and I, I f- fully believe that that played a part in, in it as well. You know what I mean? Like, that definitely played a hand in it. But I think, yeah, regardless, I think, I, he had, like you said, he had a relationship with the Shanahans. He likes Kyle. In the article, did you see that part about how Kyle apparently sat with him for several hours and they talked about the Super Bowl loss? That was crazy. I wonder if that's real. Yeah, was that like, was what? crazy. Yeah, that was wild. That was super wild. Um, but either way, here's the, here's the caveat, Ray. The 49ers win. That's all that counts. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. We got Jimmy Garoppolo, and no one else does. We've got him. Yeah. He has the makeup to be every the most successful quarterbacks in quarterback history. You know, from basically from the beginning of the West Coast offense to now, have been pocket passers, quarterbacks who can go through their progressions, who understand their reads, who can read defenses, who can control the pocket. Those have been the most successful quarterbacks in the NFL and Jimmy Garoppolo has all of those traits. And the best part is, is he's got the number one offensive mind in the, in the NFL, in my opinion, in Kyle Shanahan. And I think that this is a recipe for success and gold cast nation for your Niner faithful. You should be pumped because regardless of all the drama happening in new England, we don't have that drama. We got Jimmy G. That's yes. That's the most important takeaway of all of this is that a if you're a Niners fan, you probably don't live in New England, and B, 
you should ultimately not put too much stock or energy into the whole Patriots drama controversy because at the end of the day, we're the ones who came out the, the biggest winners. 100%. 100%. So, Raymond, let's get let's move on into the playoffs. Oh, wow. How the mighty Rams have fallen. Man, I, honestly, I don't know if... Okay, I'm going to say it like this. I don't necessarily think Atlanta took that game from them. I think the Rams really shot themselves in the foot at several different key points in the game. But I do think that's the difference between inexperience and experience. The Atlanta Falcons took advantage of the inexperience. And when they made mistakes, Atlanta pounced and made them pay for it. But I really still believe that the Rams kind of shot themselves in the foot more than the Falcons stole the game from them. I feel in the second half, once the Falcons kind of really got a hold of what, where the Rams were at physically and mentally, they started to run away with the game, even though the Rams started to kind of, you know, pull back in, but it was too little too late. And that inexperience really came back to haunt them. And now here's another thing, and then I want to hear your thoughts on this. The other thing people have been ta- pointing out to is that what do you think it was a mistake that the uh, resting all their players? Because now you're kind of it's like you almost got two weeks. You're kind of coming off almost like a bye. Uh, I heard I heard they say this on I heard them say this on NFL Network today. They they were saying really maybe what they should have done was they should have let them they McVeigh should have. McVeigh should have, you know, done what he did, but not not told not told the players they were resting until the day of the game, so that the training didn't change. So at least they were training at that same level. I, I don't know how much that plays into it. I think had they won, everyone would have talked about how smart the rest was, so the players were ready. I, I you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's kind of it maybe is neither here nor there, but I just think it's an interesting caveat to throw into the conversation. What are your thoughts on that Rams collapse? And do you feel like it was a collapse? Do you agree with me that they kind of lost it more than Atlanta took it? What are your thoughts on that game? That was a great game, by the way. Um, I think it's kind of there's some things that the Rams did that certainly didn't help themselves. But at the same time, I thought Atlanta it showed their experience, and I thought Matt Ryan had a good game. Julio Jones didn't have the, a record-setting day, but he had an effective day. They ran the ball well, but most importantly, Jared Goff uh, was exposed, and they were exposed because they were blitzing him down in the A gap, and. The reason why Jared Goff was susceptible is because, look, he threw, the, he threw the ball 45 times. A player in his experience in a playoff game should not be throwing the ball 45 times. Gurley is the heart and soul of that offense. So the fact that he couldn't really get going and have a day like he typically has had all year long, that's part of it. They made them one-dimensional. They said, hey, beat us with your arm. We dare you. We dare you to do it. Um, and as a result, uh, the Rams couldn't do it. And the, the, the key to the Rams is you, you blitz Goff, and, and you're going to have an easier time. I mean, Gurley still had 100 yards rushing. Don't get me wrong. His average was 7.2, and he had that big 33-yarder. So, I mean, he still got, his, he still got his, his yardage on the ground, but he was ineffective in the passing game, which is a huge part of his game. The screen pass is a huge part of, of McVay's offense. And Gurley has been a big contributor to that part of the scheme. I mean, he only had 10 targets, four receptions, and only two and a half yards averaging um, from those receptions. 
So he was completely ineffective. They, they signed Sammy Watkins in the offseason. He was ineffective. Four targets, one reception, 23 yards. Um, that was it. That's all he had. I mean, Woods had a good game. Cooper Cup uh, played well. But they didn't have contribution from the, the, those, those two guys are the only ones that really contributed on the passing game. So I, could, I attribute a lot to Dan Quinn coming up with a really good defensive plan to make the Rams one-dimensional because the odds of Jared Goff beating Atlanta with his arm was slim to none, and clearly, clearly they won that bet with flying colors. So part of it was the Rams, but another part of it was blitzing Jared Goff and keeping him off his game because he just doesn't have the polish, doesn't have the footwork polish to really to counterpunch a blitz attack like Atlanta gave him, especially through the A-gap, if you watch the footage back again. Um, and that's, that's the difference between him and someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, who has terrific footwork. It's not perfect all the time, but you can see what four years under Tom Brady has done to his footwork and his, his release. Like I said, I said, I said his release reminds me of Dan Marino, and I'm not the only person that thinks that. If you look at some of the footage that's out there of guys who understand uh, NFL schemes better than I do, they talk about footwork at a much more in-depth level. They compare his release time to Dan Marino because it's that, it's that compact, it's that quick. That's the type of skill set that you want, but you also have to have the footwork to go along with that to really counterpunch uh, a lot of blitzing that you're going to deal with because that's the deal, right? You gotta, if someone's going to blitz you, you've got to get the ball out faster, and the Rams just didn't, couldn't do it, couldn't do it to save their lives. Yes, I completely understand. And now I've got a question for you. You know, the schedule's only going to get harder with the Rams' success uh, this year. Do you feel like the Rams have been exposed? Do you feel like similar like Raiders last year? The Raiders were super hot and then they had the big regression this year. Do you think the Ram- it's in play that the Rams could face a regression next year, get a little bit exposed when they start playing these tougher teams? Because you know what? Honestly, they struggled against playoff teams all year long. All year long, they couldn't beat these guys. There's only a couple games well, they got away with. Right. Well, that's what I told uh, Louie early on in the season. I said, hey, I was like, they've won some games, but they've also lost a couple. And the ones that they beat were teams with losing records. And then the ones that they lost to early in the season were teams with winning records. And so I think that, you know, ultimately it just couldn't, you know, not ready to handle, you know, beating playoff caliber teams on a consistent basis. They can do it a little bit, but they haven't quite crossed the route to do it on a consistent basis. And it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what they do this offseason to reload the roster to help, you know, remedy that. I don't know if they're going to – I don't think they're going to fall off the wagon the way the Raiders did because the Raiders just don't – Jack Del Rio is just not a good coach, uh, plain and simple. So – and they had, they, had the exact, they had the exact same pieces and just couldn't do it. So part of it was, yeah, the NFL catches up to you. I think the NFL is going to catch up to the Rams. They won't have the element of surprise anymore, but they're still going to be a very efficient offense because nothing's going to change in that regard. But you have to have some really good players – in your front seven, particularly your front four, as Atlanta does, if you want to use the Atlanta method to beat the Rams. And on top of that, I'm curious to see how Goff improves, and if he has the upside to improve in a manner to beat that kind of defensive scheme going forward, because people are going to see that, and that's what I thought it was going to take for us to beat them in Week 17. I was like, look, if we take out Gurley, Jared Goff's not going to beat us with his arm. 
plain and simple. Gurley is the offense. It's not, it's not Goff is the offense. Gurley is the offense. He's the one. All the yards after the catch that, that, that you know, pad Jared Goff's numbers come from players like Gurley and Cooper Cup getting a lot of yak. Um, so I'm not trying to take away anything from Goff. He had a good year. But if you take Gurley out of the equation, which the Atlanta Falcons did, for the most part, I mean, they didn't necessarily slow him down on the ground too much, but they did take him out of the passing game, which is half of his game in that particular scheme. Then the Rams didn't have an answer for that, and they didn't have enough firepower with their supporting cast to, to answer that. So, so I, I don't know. I think uh, I think you. I don't think you're going to see a regression per se, but I think you're going to see play. You're not going to see them blowing teams out the way they did this past year. You're going to see tighter games. And it's going to be up to Goff and company to really to figure out if they can win those tight games. I agree with that. I totally agree. I think that siren that we're hearing in the background, it's uh, an APB looking for the Rams because no one's been able to find them since that game. That's probably exactly what that siren is right there. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so uh, going, let's move on. Oh, first of all, hold on. I got to ask you this though. Who's going to win next week? Uh, now, as many of you fans know, my brother Raymond possesses a very special gift, a gift that only very few have. We call it the whispers, the whispers, the whispers, the whispers. My brother taps into the whispers, the whispers, the whispers, the whispers. And somehow he just knows. He knows who's going to win the game. Raymond, we've got four games next week. Two I don't give a shit about. And then two, I really care about. The two happen to, <laughs> the two happen to be, in the NFC. New Orleans at Minnesota, Atlanta at Philadelphia. Raymond, what do the whispers tell you? The whispers, the whispers, the whispers, the whispers. Well, three out of the games last week, uh, the teams won that I wanted to win. I was, I thought for sure the Chiefs would beat the Titans. That was so disappointing. Um, I was I was banking on the Falcons beating the Rams, which they did. I knew the Jags would bounce back against the Bills, although they need a lot more offense going into the next game. And the Saints have had the Panthers number all year, so I took the Saints at home. That's that's an easy one. Saints are great at home. They're great on turf. I think the Falcons get past the Eagles because they don't have a Carson Wentz, and I don't think Nick Foles is going to be able to uh, win it out. I would love to see the Titans pull off a miracle and stun the Patriots the way they did the Chiefs because those offenses are pretty are comparable in a lot of ways. But I don't think that they're going to be able to do that. So I'm going to take the Pats in that one. And so Falcons, Pats, I think the Steelers take the Jags because the offense is just not good enough. And their Steelers at home is going to be really good. And I'm going to take, gosh, the Vikings is tough. If that defense shows up the way it has all year, then I think it's going to be a long day for Drew Brees, although I'd love to see Drew Brees win in an upset. I'm going to say the veteran Drew Brees beats out the young quarterback in the Vikings despite them having a really good defense. That's going to be the the one I'm taking a risk on. Okay, see, I'm with you. I actually agree 100% on everything you said. That is my same exact picks, and I'm with you. Minnesota-New Orleans is a complete toss-up. Who the hell's going to win that game? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea who's going to win that game at all. Either way, uh, yeah, Tennessee, pff, forget it. 
Marcus Mariota is not going to be able to catch his own pass for a touchdown. That's not happening again. I think that team is going to—I think they probably— the, I don't know. I'm sure the line is somewhere around 14, and justifiably so. They're not going to be able to do it. They don't have the defense strong enough to get to Tom Brady. I, I, I. Philadelphia also has a really tough defense. I'm with you though. I just don't think Nick Foles is good enough. I think two these two NFC games might come down to the competency of the quarterbacks, and I think Matt Ryan and Drew Brees have what it takes to beat Case Keenum and Nick Foles. I just think that's a fact, and. For instance, New Orleans got a pretty tough defense too. And if that defense shows up and stops Keenum and then Minnesota's defense shows up and stops Breeze, well, you still got Breeze and then you still got uh, Kamara. If one of those two is able to squeak through in a way that Keith Keenum isn't, there you go. There's your victory. I'm with you all the way, but that's a toss-up. I think it could go either way. Um, Goldcast Nation, what say you? We're going to throw it in the YouTube comments. You let us know who you think are going to win these games. And also, what are your thoughts on the trade, the trade drama surrounding Jimmy G? Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. All right, last but not least, man, another team, how the mighty have fallen. How important is Steph Curry to the Warriors? 45 points on Saturday, another tremendous showing. He has completely bounced back. I feel like any reservations that he had any lingering injury issues are gone. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's I think it's a good it's a good wake up call for Curry because he had been healthy for so long, and perhaps it's one of those things that kind of brings you back to reality a little bit because I feel like the last four games, and maybe the audience can chime in here. He's playing the way he's playing in these last four games. It reminds me of either of his MVP seasons, where he's just lighting everybody up every night. Um, that's how it's been the last four games. The only time, I mean, he plays good no matter what. Let's let's not let's not take that away from him. And you know, I know um, Kevin Durant hasn't been there, didn't play the other night or the night before, and so that you know he he is taking a little bit on you know, and that's that's part of the reason why it's reminiscent of the MVP seasons because Kevin Durant also wasn't there, so the offensive load did stack uh, on Curry's shoulders more so than it does with Durant in the lineup. So I know that's part of it, but at the same time. I think he's playing lights out basketball right now. And I know that the score, it's, you know, it's 121 to 105, but it was the fourth quarter where we had blown them out so hard that Kerr put in the second and third units. And that's why they outscored us, you know, 29 to 18 in the fourth quarter, but it still wasn't good enough, you know, as we beat them by double digits. So it's amazing uh, how this team, the, the way they played. I know Thompson had a quiet night, Jamon Green. I know he, he Jamon Green needs to cool his horses. God, he got fined twenty five thousand for arguing with the refs, and he's had tons of texts this year. And it just just needs to relax. You can't come. The fact that he argues every single foul call against him, it's just like so like such whiny entitlement bullshit. Cause that part kind of gets on my nerves. I was like, okay, every single call, Jamon, every single call, just accept accept some of it. Some of it is based around rules, which. You know, you don't necessarily agree with. I, I get that part, but bitching every time isn't going to make You're it. You're not going to change the NBA. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to change the NBA. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I know sometimes he can get. You know, he's a very he's a passionate player. He's a very physical player. Sometimes he can be a rowdy player, 
And and yeah, I, I get I I understand sometimes he feels like he's being picked on, but come on, man. Most how many times do they call fouls on everybody, and you don't see the rest of the team freaking out? Like it's like relax. Yeah, I get, they missed, I get that they you've three been dealt a rough hand sometimes. On LeBron James, they missed three foul calls. Technically, according to the league, three foul calls on LeBron James. One of which potentially could have cost them that game that game on Christmas Day. But you know, you move on. Stop bitching. Yep, some are going to go on. your way, exactly. some are not. How? I don't know about you. I know we had a sluggish start. I know Steve Kerr wasn't really that worried about it. I wasn't super worried about it. But as we now begin to, you know, we're 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 still a ways away. I mean, we're still in the early part of the season. But but the All Star break is is kind of looming on the horizon. You know what I mean? Like it's starting to, like if this is a if this if the if we've got a couple hills here, we've we've kind of gone over the first couple hills, and you can you can just in the distance see the All Star game. You can you know, and after the All Star break, that's when that's when the NBA really ramps up. I I feel like the Warriors, as we're heading towards that All Star break, I'm beginning to gain the confidence again and and go yeah. We got another run in us. We we can do this. We can go to four straight. We can do it, and we can knock off whoever is waiting for us in the East. Are you starting to get that confidence again? Yeah, I'm just not scared of anybody in the East. Nobody scares me. I mean, if, if Boston starts playing really good basketball, I mean, they might be a threat, but I just certainly not a threat through seven a seven-game series. No, definitely not a threat through a seven-game series. Agreed. All right, Raymond. Well, we, this wraps another episode of the Goldcast, episode 93. Don't forget, we are moving to video this month. It'll be happening towards the end of the month. Uh, we're just waiting for some equipment to come in, to be honest. <laughs> and that's about it. Raymond, before we leave, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis and also on Instagram at Ray Solis one I also think the Warriors win tonight against the Nuggets. Boom, there it is. Ray believes it. We agree on all of our picks. I want We want to hear what your picks are for the playoffs and what you think about the drama. And go Warriors tonight. Let's take out the Nuggets. No big deal. You can find me on Instagram at RudySolis3. You can find me on Twitter at RudySolis3RD, RudySolis3rd. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the faithful. I'm your host, RudySolis3rd, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Solis the first, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time. Same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast. <laughs>